And <clears throat> I want to just talk to you for a minute if I could, all right? Just kind of ease our way into this and let the Holy Spirit lead us because we've covered a lot of ground so far. I know that some of you were here for some of that or some of you haven't been here for any of that and I always like to review um, whatever the case may be. And just a couple of things to remind you of as we, as we get started this morning. First of all, giving and receiving is not about learning to live with less. It's about learning to trust God. That's one of the most important things that I think we can consider when it comes to our tithes and offerings is that, you know, it's, God's not saying, okay, listen, I need you to learn how to live on 90% of your in- income instead of 100% of it. And, and you just need to do that. And that's going to be a tough lesson, but you just need to make whatever adjustments you got to make. That, see, that's a wrong attitude towards this. What Father is ultimately trying to teach us with tangible expressions of, of gifts and financial gifts to Him and to His kingdom is He's trying to teach us to trust Him and learn by experience that He is the source, capital T, capital S, for every good thing in our lives. There are many channels, many different ways that Father God has to uh, bless and provide for and prosper His people, but He is the source of all of those channels. And it was all of those channels... You know, if you want to do a Lewis and Clark and follow the river all the way back to where it started, it's going to, every channel, every river that God has to bring increase into your life is going to ultimately find Him as the source of that channel. So giving and receiving also is not about decreasing financially, but it is God's way of increasing you financially. So He says, give and it will be given unto you, good measure pressed down, shaken together. He says, if you give sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. But if you sow or give bountifully, you will reap bountifully. And then our most recent focus in this study, giving and receiving, is not about trying to become something. It's about operating in agreement with what God already made you, with what He has already made you. So I want to continue to talk to you today about giving and receiving, but specifically as it relates specifically as it relates to God's ways of being and doing. God's ways of being and doing. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 for our key verse for today. And it says that, um, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that through His poverty you might become rich. Now, what we've learned is that these words are not talking about, um, you know, immaterial, uh, you know, blessings that you can't necessarily put a hand on, but it's literally talking about wealth, abundance, riches, material goods, um, and him becoming poor on your behalf was something that he did so that you could become rich. And their rich means possessing an abundance of riches, wealth, and material goods. Because one of the things that we've learned along the way is that anything the Bible talks about God prospering you or, or you benefiting financially or in some way materially, that religion tends to try to make all of that be immaterial things. You know, that you'll just feel better about yourself or, or that it's some kind of spiritual blessing but, but really doesn't affect anything in the natural or physical world. And that's simply not the case. We can't allow Satan to steal the truth from us by making verses that deal directly with our financial provision, our financial blessing, our financial prosperity, material blessing, material 
prosperity. The devil wants you to think of those things only in terms of something spiritual or immaterial instead of what the Bible is actually saying they are. Now, as it relates to being and doing, connects with this verse when he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's an assumption here. There's a prerequisite here. Meaning, if you're ever going to fully embrace and benefit from and understand what this verse is communicating to you and me, you must first know, understand the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are far more people who have received the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ than there are people who know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we've benefited from it. We've received the gift of salvation. We've received uh, what God's grace can produce and, and affect in our lives, but we still don't know or understand grace in the sense that we need to know it and understand it. Hebrews 13 says that it's a good thing for the heart to be established in grace. For the heart to be established in grace. Established in grace as opposed to established in what? Well, the opposite of of being established in grace is being established in works. Being established in performance. We see that these two, especially in the the New Testament, we see them always uh, positioned opposite to one another as two different approaches. And because of what Jesus has done for us, we now live in the days of grace. We, we now live under a covenant of grace, an operating of agreement with God that's based upon grace as, a, as opposed to one that's based upon your performance to the law. Now, <clears throat> Jesus came preaching a message of repentance. And before Jesus preached a message of repentance, John the Baptist was his cousin and appointed by God a forerunner for Jesus to prepare people's hearts to receive the message that Jesus would bring. And John the Baptist's message was a message of repentance. Then we see that Jesus sent the first 12 apostles, disciples, out into the world to preach. And he told them specifically to preach a message of repentance. And then he sent 70 more, we do not know their names, but they're recorded in heaven, to also go into the cities and towns and villages where Jesus was preparing to go. And they served as a John the Baptist, if you will. They went in those areas to preach and to get people stirred up and prepared for to receive Jesus when he would come behind them. And their message was, guess what, also a message of repentance. I started church nine months before I was born. We were, we were raised in church. As Matt says, we were raised Christian. Amen. And I heard a lot of sermons growing up in church on the subject of repentance. But it was not until I was in my 20s that I actually discovered what repentance actually means and what it actually is. I was under the impression that to repent meant to stop sinning. But it's more than that. Repent, you say, you know, the, the, the preacher would say, repent is, is talking about a 180. So you turn from your sin and you turn back to God. That's repentance. Yes, it is, but repentance is much more than that. The actual word in the Greek is the word metanous. Meta meaning a change in condition Noose meaning mind. So a message to repent 
is not just talking about you turning away from something that you're doing that's wrong back towards something that you should be doing that's right. Metanous, repent, means to completely change the way you think or we could say it this way, completely change the way that you look at or the way that you see these things. This, this is what true repentance really is. It's not just like, well, I want to do this, but I'm going to do that, and I need to quit doing this, and I need to start doing that. It's allowing God to do a deeper work inside of you so that the way you see those things and the way you think about those things shifts away from a wrong way of looking and a wrong way of thinking to God's truth and right way of looking at and thinking about those things. That's true repentance. Amen. See, a lot, a lot of folks, you know, we know that we need to do this differently, and we know we need to quit doing that, and we know we need to change some more of this. But the thinking that we have, and, and even the thing that our thoughts are based upon concerning those things, is, is faulty and it's wrong. And so the deeper work that God wants to do in us begins in our spirit where he completely transforms us. And then in our soul, your mind, emotions, and will, where he has this ongoing work of of renewing or reconditioning. And we find this in Proverbs chapter uh, 12, uh, verse number 2, where he instructs the born-again believer to experience further transformation in their lives through the renewing of their minds. Or we could say it this way, through the reconditioning of the mind. Because our minds have been conditioned by the world we live in. He says this, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing or the reconditioning of your mind. The concept of being conformed is referring to pressure from the outside that is shaping or or molding or forming um, your thoughts and thinking. So we see that there is a constant pressure from the world around us being applied not just to our behavior, but ultimately to our mindsets, our attitudes, and, 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 the, and the way that we think. So our minds have been conditioned by the family we were born into and, and raised up by. Our families have been conditioned by this world and its way of, of, of thinking and doing, or we, we could say this world's way of doing and being. And then it's also been uh, conditioned, and this is where it, it can really become deceptive, is when our minds are conditioned in a wrong way by religion. Am I the only one in this room that's had to unlearn some things that I learned in church? I, I, I first heard that in church. I had that reinforced and, you know, by people who were, they were misusing, but, but nonetheless handling incorrectly, as the Bible says, the Word of God. But, but, you know, not only was the thinking wrong, they had some Bible verses to back it up, the way those verses were, were presented. Now, what we see, and I know this makes some people uncomfortable, but the Scriptures are very clear through uh, John the Beloved, the Apostle John, where, you know, Satan is a deceiver and people, there's, in other words, there's no one exempt on planet earth, you know, as far as this world system is concerned, that have not been influenced in some way by, by wrong thinking. And so thank God, I'm, as we sing a song around here at Heritage, it says, I'm happy to be in the truth. 
And, and so it's good, to, it's good to know the truth. It's good to have, remember God's word is truth, a, a source of truth, the voice of truth, which is the word of God and the Holy Spirit. That's helping you and me in this ongoing process of renewing and, and reconditioning the way we think. Now, there are some things that um, fall off of us pretty quickly as we continue to pursue the life that God created us to live. In other words, there, we could call this low-hanging fruit, you know, where um, it's like, okay, listen, I, I, I know that I shouldn't be doing that, and I know what God's Word says about this. And, I, and so we turn in, in certain areas and, and places in our lives uh, more quickly and more readily than we do in other areas. And as we, as we progress our way into the, the deeper things of God, learning more and more how to think the way God created us to think, growing up into Jesus more and more, we come to what I call sticking points, or, or we could say log jams, or even like a traffic jam. And a, in other words, this is a place where a lot of people get stuck. And, it, it, you know, I've seen folks get stuck at places and stay there for 20 years and never really grow past it. It's because they are failing to or out and out refusing to make the necessary shift in their thinking in order to move past the ceiling that they keep hitting or the wall that they keep hitting. Remember the question, don't you want to know what's on the other side of that wall you keep hitting? And I think we can all relate to that question because we all know what it is to to get to a certain point in our growth and development and hit a wall and for whatever reason can't seem to get beyond it. Well, if you're ever going to get beyond that logjam, you're, you're going to have to let the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God working together, you cooperating together with them, create or produce this shift in, in your thinking, this shift in your perspective, the, this shift in the way you look at um, these particular things. And I believe one of the most important shifts that we can ever cooperate with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in making involves this shift in our understanding of God's ways of being and doing. God's ways of being and doing. And of course, this brings us back to understanding grace. This brings us back to understanding God's grace because it's God's grace that has made us something we could never make ourselves. It is God's grace that has made us free. It is God's grace that has made us righteous. It is God's grace that has made us powerful. You are a powerful person. You have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living inside of you. You are a powerful person. Satan has tried your entire life to make you feel weak and pitiful and measly and insignificant and trivial. He's tried your whole life to put upon you the identity of a victim, of an addict, of, 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 of uh, a dependent. Uh, you know, again, he is a liar. 
You are a powerful person. God did not give you a spirit of fear and intimidation, but one of power, one of love, and one of a sound mind. So when we talk about this shift, it's a shift that goes from the way the world looks at it. I want you to notice now how the world and religion share this wrong approach to living the life that God created us to live. And that wrong approach is this, what I do determines who I am. It is, it is the mindset, it is the attitude that says my being is determined by my doing. I know we've said this different ways at different times and I was really interested personally interested in moving on from this and I want to tell you that this will be the last Sunday at least in this series that we're going to talk about this but I I can't promise you that and and let me and let me tell you why okay great victory and great growth are waiting for you on the other side of this repentance. And when I say repentance, I'm, I mean allowing the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to help you make this shift from what I do determines who I am to who God made me determines what I can now do. You say, what in the world does this have to do with giving and receiving? Among all the things that Father God has made you, He has made you rich. He has made you rich. Jesus became your sin so that you could become His righteousness. Though He was eternally right before God in the eyes of God, His Father, He allowed Himself to be made your sin so that you could be made His righteousness. That's grace. That's the great exchange. But he also allowed his body to be beaten. And and he suffered physically in his body. So that by his stripes you were healed. He took the suffering for you. So that you could walk in restored physical health and well-being. See, the devil says, well, you abused your body. You, you this, you that, and, 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 and these are consequences of your sin. Yes, they may be consequences of your sin. Let me, let me tell you what we do know, okay? Every second of suffering that's ever taken place on planet Earth can be traced back to one man and one woman's sin, Adam and Eve, because their sin brought a curse, and we were all in them when they sinned. And the Bible's very clear about it. It was not your sin that made you a sinner. It was not your sin that separated you from God. It was Adam and Eve's sin. And we were born of their corrupted seed. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. And certainly, we've done things that we shouldn't have done, and there are consequences. But Jesus didn't just suffer so that you could go to heaven one day. He suffered so that you could live in victory today. And the devil will tell you that the consequences of your sin and even the effects that it may have taken upon your physical health, that that's your cross to bear. 
wrong. He's lying to you. Jesus bore the cross of your physical sickness and suffering and disease. He bore that for you so that you would not have to bear it. But so many of God's people see themselves as impoverished trying to become rich. Or they see themselves as someone who is sick trying to find healing. Or someone who is a slave to sin trying to find freedom. You say, well, what's wrong with that, Pastor Mark? It doesn't line up with Scripture. That's what's wrong with it. He has made you whole. He has made you free from sin. He has made you right with God. He has made you free from sin. This is so subtle, and I know that a lot of people are like, okay, we've got this already. Well, do we? Do we have this already? Because... I'm telling you, I'm telling you, when you really and truly understand this, you're, you're, it's, it's going to be like you're propelled. It's, what, what, are, what, are those, uh, what are those things that, um, not a slingshot, but a catapult. When, when you really begin to embrace this correct way of understanding and knowing God's grace and how we function in grace now, it, it will catapult you forward. I've experienced it personally in my life, but I've also had a front row seat to countless others who have allowed the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God to help them make this shift. Repentance. You see, I'm, I could call it repentance. I, you know, but it's, it's, it's literally shifting from one mindset to the correct mindset. And when we make this shift, it, it is all the difference in the world. So what is it, how does this relate to giving and receiving? So many of God's people see themselves as poor people, needy people, who are trying to figure out what we can do to, to have abundance, to, to, to be rich. Now, I know some folks, oh, I'm not in, I, I don't interested in being rich, whatever. You were at one point in your life. You may become so disillusioned with it that it's like, well, you know, I just don't have to have all that anymore. When you was a kid, you wanted it. And those are not, listen to me, those are not um, evil desires. We've looked at this. I'm not going to go back through it. But you were cre- your, your origin and destiny is power. Your origin and destiny is dominion. Your origin and destiny is blessing. Your origin and destiny is, is, is right and being right. Your origin and destiny is freedom. Your origin and destiny is abundance. And we see because these things are both our origin and our destiny, it's what drives people. It's what, it's what motivates people. And I've said this so many times that I'll say it again. When Jesus' disciples were arguing about who was the greatest, Jesus didn't rebuke them for desiring greatness. They were created for greatness. Greatness is your origin and greatness is your destiny. The problem was how they were going about trying to obtain greatness. They were created for greatness, they had a desire for it, but they were trying to obtain it through the world's mindsets and attitudes about these things. Instead, Jesus says, look, you want to be great? Let me tell you how to be great. This is how you do it. didn't rebuke them for desiring it, and Father's not going to rebuke you for desiring to have an abundance. He created you for an abundance. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, and that you might have it in, in overflowing abundance in every facet and aspect of your life. You... you 
Abundance is your origin, and it's your destiny. And the Scriptures make it very clear that God wants His people living in abundance, proving to the world that it pays to listen to, follow, and obey, and trust God. So we all desire these things. I, I, know, we, I know that's going way back in review, but I just, I'm, again, I'm, I'm trying to help you connect some of these pieces as, as we go along. And so, you know, the devil will try to tell you a desire to, to have all your bills paid and have some money in the bank and, and to be able to, to give and help and do. That's, you know, somehow that's greed. It's not greed. You were created for that. But where it very quickly turns into greed is when we start trying to make ourselves something that only God can make us. Proverbs says that there's, there are those who make themselves rich, but they don't have anything. They may have a lot of money in the bank, but they're not, they're not rich. But if the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, then there's no sorrow added with that. It's kind of like what we said, and, and it relates, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, he said, no one lights a candle and, and then puts it under a basket. But you light the candle and then you put it on a lampstand, you put it on a pedestal. God created you to be on a pedestal. Again, where the problem comes in is when we try to put ourselves on the pedestal or we try to get other people to put us on a pedestal. God has no desire whatsoever in you putting yourself on one or letting other people put you on one. But He is absolutely interested in you humbling yourself and submitting yourself to Him, to His wisdom, His ways of being and doing so that He can then put you on the pedestal. All right, now, let's, um, so I'm not going to turn to the verse, but Romans 10 talks about those who are ignorant of God's ways of being and doing righteousness, and so because they're ignorant of it, they have a zeal for God, they have a zeal for God, but they have not submitted to God's righteousness. And we said that word submit is very important there because it talks about the order, the order of things. And so being must come before doing in a covenant of grace. Trying to do in order to be is out of order. We are not children of God because we behave like children of God. We behave like children of God because we are children of God. So it's be then do, not do until you be. Now, amen, our time's slipping away from us. Let's, um, so the world and religion both say, do this in order to make yourself that. Okay? That's, that's, they don't use the same terminology. Sometimes they do. Let's just be honest about it, right? But the basic approach and the basic concept is the same. I skipped over some stuff. Let me go back. I, I know we've said this before, but let me just remind you, Okay? We've tried to skip over God's ways of being and go straight to God's ways of doing. This will not work and will only produce limited results, if any at all. When we skip God's ways of being and go straight to the doing, it puts the doing in the wrong perspective and actually forces it into the wrong context. The doing becomes the means to the being in this model. Okay? The doing becomes the means to the being. In other words, I, in other words 
if I'm ever going to be uh, a child of God, I need to do this for this long of a period of time in order to be. I've got to do this in order to become that. That's not how this works. But yet that's how the world and religion, they both say, do this and you will make yourself that. I've, I've referenced this verse a time or two. Let me show it to you here in John 8 and 53. These are the religious leaders exasperated once again with Jesus. And this is what they say. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Man, religion has never played its hand or showed its hand. Let me say it another way. Religion has never showed its hand more than it has in that verse right there. That's what religion is all about. It's about you adhering to a set of principles, a set of guidelines, a set of rules, a set of this, a set of that, in order to make yourself out to be something. Let me remind you, discipleship is not about becoming something you're not. Discipleship is about discovering who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, let's look at, thank you, Jesus. 1 John chapter 3. Let's turn there, please. Praise God. I want to try to show you this in a, in a, a couple of places in the Scriptures. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Amen. So let's see if I can say it this way, okay? Being must provide the foundation and motivation for our doing. Or else we're doing to become. I'll probably say this again here in just a moment, but let me see if I can. This is, this is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit has, has shown me to communicate this. And it's, it's the difference between doing something for someone to get them to love you versus doing something for someone because they love you. See, in the first scenario, let's just use the word serving. You're serving or you're obeying or you're helping or you're, you're doing in order to be loved. This kind of goes back to uh, our conversation after church Wednesday night, Brother Donald. You know, there are all kinds of things that you can do according to the Word of God that will please God, that will benefit you personally, that will benefit other people, that will help you grow and, and move into the deeper things of God. You're not going to get there without cooperating with, with God, without, without submission, without humility, without effort, without fighting the good fight of faith. Okay. But the difference is when people understand God's ways of doing things, but they think that they have to do this in order to be loved by God, in order to be accepted by God, in order to be secure in their relationship with God. It's a huge difference between doing it to be versus doing it because you already are. 
Are you seeing this? I am very, very secure in Pam's love for me, in who I be as her husband. Okay? There are a lot of men in the world who are better looking than me, who, uh, whatever, you know, more talented than me or what. But I, I do not feel like I'm in competition with any of those people for her love. And I am, matter of fact, I have, I have uh, redoubled my efforts this year in finding more and more creative ways to be a blessing to her and to serve her and, and to make every day of her life the most enjoyable day that it can possibly be given all the responsibilities and things that, that she has and that I have. Okay. But I enjoy doing that because it's in the right context. I'm not doing all that to try to keep her. I'm not doing all that out of fear because, man, you know, if I'm not a good husband, she'd go find her another one. You know, so I better be a good husband. No, I'm not trying to earn my position or, or, or my status or my uh, connection with her. I'm very, very secure and confident in that. And so that then, who I be to her provides both the foundation and the motivation for what I do to serve her and to, and to be a, a blessing to her and to pour into her. Do you, do you see that there's a huge difference there? It's sad to me. This, this, let's go back to the log jam and, and all, all these other things. You are a child of God. Oh, no, Pastor Mark, I'm a servant of God. Now listen to me, please. You are first and foremost the offspring of God. And like our big brother Jesus, I'm part of the family business. I am a son who serves. I'm not an outsider trying to serve my way into the family. That was the younger brother in, the, in what we call the, the parable of the prodigal son, right? He comes home, his dad says, Give him the ring, give him the robe, put shoes on his feet, kill the fatted calf. And all that young man can say is, no, 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 make me like one of your servants. What, what was his thinking? His thinking was, make me like one of your servants and let me try to earn my way back in. He was trying to do in order to be. He didn't feel like he was worthy any longer of the title son. And so he, he wants to be made. like notice the, notice the language that the Holy Spirit gave Jesus to use in that parable. Make me one of your servants. Make me like one of your servants. He wanted his father to make him something other than what he already truly was. Who did that young man be? That young man was that, was that father's son. Did he do some things that hurt his father? Yes. Did he do some things that brought shame to his father's name? Yes. Did he do some things that he shouldn't have done? Yes. But did any of those things make him any less his father's son? No. But his mindset was, I want to do something in order to be. And, and notice what gets involved in all that pride. So you've got to just humble yourself. Okay, I'm a son. Father, thank you for showing me mercy and grace. No, no, see, 
It was arrogance on his part that said, no, I'm not going to accept any of this. I'm going to make you owe it to me one day down the road. I'm, I'm going to do enough to make my, who do you make yourself out to be? He wanted to, see, when he was living off, you know, the, the life of the party, the big spender, buying everybody at the bar three rounds of drinks and blowing through his daddy's money and all this other stuff, right? He was making himself out to be something to all those people, right? See the mindset. That's the world. Now he's back home and his father's wanting to restore him uh, and, and, He's wanting to restore him outwardly to who he already was and always would be inwardly. It was his son. He wanted him to look like his son. He wanted him to smell like his son. He wanted when people saw him coming to say, that's, that's uh, so-and-so's boy right there. The robe, the, sand, the best robe, it says. The ring. It's allowed him to do business in his father's name. That signet ring. All these things. Knew he wouldn't have it. He wouldn't hear of it. He wanted to make himself something that only... His father, and of course his mother, could have made him. All right. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. There's a lot being said here. Let's let's begin with that first word, behold. He's literally saying, it's kind of like Selah in the uh, Old Testament. He's saying, spend a little time here thinking about this. Take a long and thoughtful Look, deeply consider, this word behold, consider what manner of love, the quality of it, the extent of it, the magnitude of it, because of the Father's great love for us, he says in Ephesians 2. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Why, why should we be called children of God? Verse 3 says we should be called because now we are. How, how, did, how did we become sons and daughters of God? How did we become heirs of God and join heirs with Jesus? Grace. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15 and 10. I'll come back to that. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. We'll finish with that verse here in just a moment. Let's let's come back to this one. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. What is he saying here? He's saying quit looking to the world's ways of, of, of being and doing because the world's ways aren't being then doing the world's ways are doing then being and we keep looking for confirmation from the world and the world system we keep looking for somebody else see that's one of the things you get that's one of the pitfalls of getting being and doing in reverse order when, when you know God's ways he makes you and now because he's made you this this is who you be. Now you have the, the wherewithal to, to do right, to live in freedom, to live in, in abundance, right? 
See, the world reverses that. The world doesn't say be, then do. The world says do, then be. And when we get it reversed in our minds, there's all kinds of things, negative things that start to uh, crop up in our lives, frustration among them. But, but one of the things that this leads to is we begin to live our lives through the eyes of other people. And we will not even begin to believe it's true about ourselves until we convince other people that it's true. We keep waiting for the world to say we're a good person. We keep waiting for somebody in the world to say you're no longer an addict. We keep waiting for for the world to recognize these things because then that's when we believe that it's true about us. So we be, right? We be only in, in that broken system who the world says we can be. Who do you make yourself out to be? That good old religion boy network, right? They are always patting each other on the back. Jesus said, I don't receive honor from, from man. He says, how can you receive honor from God when all you're interested is in is in somebody else honoring you and not God? They put more stock in what other people said about who they be than who God said they were. And many of God's children continue to make that same mistake today. I feel some of you pulling away. Just stay with me a few more minutes, please. A few more minutes. Okay. So it's the love of God. God is love and grace is God expressing himself to us. That we should be called children of God. And by the way, he's not ashamed, according to Hebrews, he's not ashamed to call you his brother. Because the one who is doing the work in you and those who are having the work done in them are all of one. So therefore, he says, he's not ashamed to call you and me his brethren. Think about it for a moment. Why, why would you ever be ashamed to say that you know somebody or related to somebody? Right? You know, you, you got an uncle that's, a, you know, a hellraiser and all this stuff. And somebody, hey, are you, I noticed your last name's McGillicuddy. You, you related to them McGillicuddy's live over in Mississippi? I don't think so. No, it's not, it's not me, right? Why, why, would you, why would you be ashamed to say that? Because their outward behavior would be one that you would not want to be connected with or associated with, with, with who you are. Right? So why would the Bible say, hey, listen, Jesus knows that you're all of one, and he's not ashamed to call you his brother. Why, why would he even be ashamed to call Because we still do some things that aren't a nice reflection of him. But he's not ashamed to call you his brother, because you are. He made you that. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. So quick quit asking the world to tell you who you are world doesn't know they don't have that information beloved now if you read it tomorrow it'll be now if you read it 16 years from now it'll say now we are children of god and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be so in other words who we became the day we became a new creation in christ jesus is still being revealed to us everything that god made you you don't know it you don't even know it yet that's why it's not about becoming something. It's a process of discovery. Discipleship is a process of discovery. Finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ. He says, but we know that when he's revealed, when Jesus is revealed, we'll be like him for we'll see him as he is. Now notice this, verse 3. And everyone who has this hope in Christ, in him, in Christ Jesus, does what? Purifies himself or herself just as Jesus is pure. Do you see what this verse is saying to you and me? That who his love made us to be, who we be in Christ, has now become the foundation 
for and the motivation for what we do. He's talking about our being motivating our doing. This verse confirms the model that we see in many other places in Scripture that it's only an understanding of our being motivating our doing that pleases our Father in heaven. This is the model that honors Him. This is the model that actually works and produces the results in our lives. There is a huge difference between doing to be loved and doing because you are loved. All right, stand with me this morning. Praise God. I mentioned it a moment ago. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he goes on to talk about that he labored more abundantly than, than all the others. He's not bragging. He's just, stating his, he's just stating what's a fact, okay? I think, I think we can make a case that Paul understood what God's grace had made him perhaps better than any person who, who had, had lived up into that time outside of Jesus. You say, Pastor Mark, how could you dare say such a thing based upon what he did, based upon him knowing who he was in, in Christ and his identity? Was Paul serving God trying to make up for all the mistakes he made? Was Paul serving God trying to earn God's favor and love? Was God, was Paul, no, Paul wasn't doing all that to try to become a, a child of God. He's, you know what, his grace made me something I can never make myself. And because this is who I am. In Galatians, he says, I'm not going to set aside the grace of God. So that's what a lot of folks do. When it comes to their understanding of, of who they be, they set aside the grace of God and think it's, it's based entirely upon who and what they can make themselves. My brother, my sister, when you read the Word of God, I, wanna, I, I know that some of you have made commitments you know, to, to read the Scriptures more this year. Please do that, but let me encourage you. Stop, just, you know, stop looking first and foremost for, in the verses of, of the Word of God, especially in the New Testament, for what you need to do to experience some change in some area or situation in your life. The Bible is full of that. But remember, God's ways of doing work together with His ways of being. And if we think the doing is what produces the being, it's going to put the doing in a wrong context. It's going to put the doing in the wrong context. And and next thing you know, here comes the pride, here comes the frustration, here comes comparing yourself to other people. This wrong mindset and a failure to shift to the right mindset is why there's so much judgment in the body of Christ. It's why there's so much envy and jealousy, why there's so much frustration. Feelings of inferiority, feelings of insecurity, reasons why... um, People get disillusioned with God. I tried all that God, Jesus, Bible, tithing stuff. It didn't work for me. And we do something else. Because you were trying to make yourself something by doing that God had already made you. Amen. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, this logjam is broken. In Jesus' name, Father, everything that we've been held back from because we haven't shifted in our thoughts to accommodate our new reality in grace, Father. 
is released into our life realities now. Father, I thank you that great victory and great breakthrough and, and great growth, Father, lay ahead for us in this new year because we're letting your word and your Holy Spirit help us make this one critically important shift in our thinking, Father. And that is we are not doing to be, but we are doing based upon who you made us, who we be in Christ Jesus. Father, as that relates to giving and receiving, we are no longer trying to work our fingers to the bone to make ourselves financially prosperous. We are hard workers, Father, but as you said in your word, work so that you'll have something to give. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us. Thank you for helping us. Thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit is doing in us what only he can do. Your word is doing in us what only your living and powerful word can do. Father, this is, this is something that um, certainly involves our corp- cooperation, but willpower alone can't pull this off, Father. We're talking about a fundamental shift, Lord, in, in, in our perspective, in, in the way we approach living for you and doing for you. And I thank you, Father, for helping us make this an important shift, this important transition, this important renewing of our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I hope you got something out of this today. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus' name.